Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Father, help us to have ears to hear as we look at this and we understand that you took these common people and turned the world upside down. Father, you even tell us that it's nothing is it's impossible for man, but nothing's impossible for God. And Father, I thank you. I thank you for the things you are doing. I thank you for the things you have done. But Father, I look with a great expectation of what you will accomplish. Father, help us in these strange, strange times. Stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But Father, help us on bended knees with all humility. Realize that it's you. It's you alone with the precious treasure placed in these earthen vessels. Thank you, Father, for what you do what you're going to do. And Father, I pray we each with an expectation long to see you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine in Christ's name. Amen. When I started this, I wanted us to think about discipleship because you can look at some of these guys we have some decent information on. Some of these guys we don't. Some of these guys we only know what their name is. Some of them didn't even make a statement in Scripture. But you can see their personalities. You know who the kind of people that they are. Why? They're no different than us. They're absolutely no different than us. And, and yet, look what the Lord did. When I, you know, I look at two, maybe three sets of brothers. Very possible there was three. And you always have the dynamic that is in a family. And how that all just came out and was overcome by the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, I see the two guys, Philip and Bartholomew, who were looking for Messiah. They were specifically searching the scriptures to know. I find that fascinating. I think about Thomas, who, in spite of his own Life and safety said, let's go back into Jerusalem. If we're going to die, let's die with him. What a man. I see Matthew, a tax collector. I still try to figure the dynamic of him in this group because the Jews considered him a traitor. You were the most vile thing on the planet. You were worse than a Gentile assisting the Romans. They could even tolerate a Samaritan more than they could a person who worked for Rome. But I want to show you what the unity of Christ does. All right. When we focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you do that. 
You can take a terrorist and make him a disciple. Simon the Zealot. Let me give you a little background on this because there's times that we kind of miss some of this. Simon the Zealot. Between the Old Testament, the last book of Malachi, and the New Testament is 400 years. They call it the quiet time. And the reason that they call it that is because God wasn't sending no prophets. There were, and, and everything was, that was under the Greek and Roman, what they call oppression. The Greek empire was over Jerusalem for a long time. And then they, when they were defeated by the Romans, then the Romans took them over. Okay. But there was 400 years where they call it the quiet time. But there was things going on. Okay. There was a rebel, a revolutionary, an agitator, an instigator named Judas Maccabee. He is the one who came up with the idea of the menorah. They were about to run out of light and the menorah kept burning when they didn't have any oil. He led the Jews in a massive revolt against the Greeks. Okay? And at a point, it was actually quite successful. It later didn't. He was against the Greeks' influence on the Jewish culture, but he was largely against the Greeks' religious influence on the Jews. The, the, the Greek were paganistic, uh, uh, multiple gods that believed that ac- excesses was the way to worship deities and just fill in whatever excess you want to fill in. And that was a form of some kind of worship. And they brought that in. There is, if you go to a Catholic Bible, you'll see a section in between the Old and the New Testament called the Apocrypha. Okay, uh, we don't have it because we don't believe it was divinely inspired. But it's interesting reading. It's quite historic in a lot of ways. And, and, and you can kind of get an idea, but it's not, they don't believe that it's God-breathed. Some of the books in there, it's called the ba- Maccabees. First Maccabee chapter two, verse 50. This is what Judas Maccabee said. Be zealous for the law and give your lives for the covenant. Be zealous for the law and give your lives for the covenant. This group that was birthed by Judas Maccabee was politically oriented. Now, they were doing it in the name of Yahweh. They are going to take their country back for God. Okay? See how things change, don't, don't really change? Okay? But that's what they were going to do, and they were do, trying to do it politically. Well... The Greek Empire was a democracy. Okay? 
as long as you were Greek. Okay, if you were defeated, then you're a slave. All right. The Maccabees and that whole line that it, it was a political, militant political group were self-appointed. Okay? They believe that God made a covenant with Israel. And for whatever reason, the covenant looks like it's all messed up. If we can get back to the true Judaism, then God will honor us and we will be able to defeat these invaders. They believed in their writings that they were the guardians of Judaism. And these people were fanatics. Because they believed they were doing what Yahweh wanted. But again, they were self-appointed. They were not prophets. All right? They were not of the priesthood. And this group became known as zealots. Zealots. Okay? And for all intents and purposes, it was a political organization. Okay? During the New Testament, it's still there, but now the oppressor is Rome. And believe it or not, this is the birth of terrorism. Okay? Because what their goal was, was to assassinate Roman officials so that they had a terror of being in the area and that they would leave. Whether they were political officials, whether they were appointed. And these guys were willing to commit suicide to pull this off. Now, they didn't have bombs and things like that, but they would have knives or daggers or things like this. And they would get into a crowd and wait their chance and cut the guy's throat. All right. So they they were known. They were around. Everybody knew who they were. And they basically were doing all they could to terrorize Romans or allies of Rome so that they could free Israel from Rome. That's why they were doing it. That is the reason that you see the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Because they got to the point where the Roman authorities said, enough is enough. And they literally obliterated Israel. For all intents, it, it was a non-existent country after 70 A.D. All right? Nothing there. No political. They killed the priest. Anything that could assimilate or even look like it was part of the original Israel was destroyed. And the reason was, is that these people, these zealots, would run around and do all this stuff. And instead of putting the fear into the Romans, they just made them mad. Okay? See, we always remember 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem. But you know what happened just before 70 A.D.? 985 Galilean towns were destroyed. 
They were taken to the foundations. Okay. Some of you may have read Flavius Josephus. He was part of the zealots in Galilee. He was an officer in the Galilean army and he was taken prisoner. And he is one of our eyewitness recordings of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He made notes. Okay. In 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed, a lot of the zealots were slaughtered. And a remnant of them fled from Jerusalem down into the Jordan Valley and then headed toward the Dead Sea. And they went to a place called Masada. They were led by a man named Eleazar. And he got him up on top of Masada. Masada was built by Herod because he was afraid of the zealots. Okay. And so he built a palace up there on top of this thing. And if you know, you cannot believe the degree of desolation there is here. Okay. They ain't even weeds grow. Okay. And it's just a little bit to the west of the Dead Sea. It's in a valley and it's, it's desolate. Uh, it's, it's, it would be the eastern border of the area of desolation that David hid in. But on top of this, it's a butte. Herod cut it at a slope. And he dug four cisterns. And then he had in the slope little channels that would feed to each cistern. So he collected... Any time that it ever rained into the cisterns. Then they had one whole wall, stone wall, that was nothing but coops for pigeons. And they would harvest the eggs and harvest the birds. So they basically felt like they could be self-contained on top of this thing indefinitely. All right. As long as it kept raining and, you know, I mean, at some point I'd get tired of eating pigeon, but... You know, they belly ached about manna, so what the hey. All right, so you have this remnant of zealots who got up on top of Masada. The Romans laid siege to it. Estimates are that there were 14 legions. And you get on top of Masada, and you can literally see where they had their camps. They've got rocks, and they would stay with inside the rocks because they couldn't be hit by nothing. If they were out of range. Okay. But Rome was serious. We're going to stop this. Well, there's no way to get anybody off of this thing. And so what Rome did is bring surviving Jews down from Jerusalem. And they got on the, see, be the southwest side of Masada. It's kind of like the low spot on this butte. And they began piling up rocks. And the Jews, the zealots on top would have to kill Jews to stop them. And now they got, now they're running into trouble. Okay. Because remember, we are the protectors of Judaism. Right. So they build this ramp. Massive thing. Massive thing. Huge. And you go look at it, you stand in awe of this thing because you just look at this and say, that ain't done by a bulldozer. 
And it's just rocks piled up, rocks piled up, big enough that they could bring catapults up it. This is not, it's not just a little ramp thing you're going up a ladder. This thing is massive. It's probably a good 45 to 50 feet wide. As the zealots on top of Masada watched it and seen the progress that was coming, they realized they were defeated. Because once they got the ramp up there, that many Roman soldiers, what are you going to do? You know what they did? They killed their families and themselves. No, they didn't have poison. They cut their families' throats. Their children, their spouses, and then the men killed themselves. I don't know about you. That is the depth of their zeal for Judaism. They were not going to die at the hands of the Romans. I was up on Masada early one morning and they had uh, the commissioning of Israeli officers and they raised the Jewish flag just at sunrise and they commissioned and the statement that is said, Masada will never happen again. And every officer in the IDF takes that oath. Okay, so you see, this is some serious stuff. Now then, I want you to think about it from this perspective. Before Jesus Christ, Simon was a zealot. He would have had the same zeal for Judaism. So... My conclusion when I look at this, it's Matthew the tax collector. Matthew wanted to tell you, you know what a scuzz bucket I was. But then you have Simon who is a zealot, a terrorist. Why is that put in there? Probably because he had the same zeal after Christ. That's what I would assume. He retained that zeal. That was part of his personality. But now that zeal is redirected in a godly direction. Now think about that for a second. You see it different times. People who take uh, the monastic vows to be a monk. That's a zeal. It's misplaced. But it is a zeal. All right. You can see it in all kinds of different places. Uh, you can. Uh, yeah, well. You can see it in our political arenas now. There are people who will defend to the death some philosophy. And uh, it's kind of kind of sad. I read this and I think about the zealots at the time of the New Testament, uh, before the New Testament, when they were 
assassinating Romans. They were, uh, they believed that it was the zealots that put the, uh, um, Dead Sea Scrolls away, hid them in jars, and then they were found in 48, I think it was. What passion these people would have. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we need to have that passion for the Word. Every one of us. But the thing is, is that I've learned... You can't manufacture that. You can't manufacture that. Or you'll end up in a monastery somewhere wearing wool all the time. You can't manufacture it. And I look at this guy, Simon, finally finding a leader and a cause that overcame Judaism and his political actions. He all of a sudden realized that it would be God who removes powers and authorities. It would be God who places what God wants done. Finally, a leader who got all and completely fulfilled the law. Was without blemish. Finally a leader who is the perfect sacrifice. Finally a leader whose blood of the new covenant was eternal and forever. And it's protected you forever and ever and ever. Okay? Now then. One other thing I want you to think about. Simon the Zealot, who now is a zealot for Jesus Christ. Side by side, Matthew the tax collector. Now think about that for a second. Before Christ, Simon would have killed Matthew instantaneously. He wouldn't have had to have a plan. He could be the lone wolf, whatever you want to call it. But Matthew would have been dead. But now they are serving together the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, I I look at Peter and Andrew, we get a lot of, and I look at them and I think, now there's a personality conflicts between these two yahoos that is amazing that God overcame. But that cannot compare to Matthew and Simon Serving side by side. What if God would have saved Osama bin Laden? How interesting would that have been? See, Christ broke through their differences. Christ taught and lived Love for one another. Right? That's amazing. And it, and it's lived out in the original 11. Do we understand that? 
We say, because there would be a dynamic between Matthew and Simon. You're like, oh, I don't think this is going to work out very well. But he broke through it. Not only did he break through it, he used both of these enemies who were enemies to themselves, to each other. And he used that hatred for his glory. Look at who I have chosen. Enemies. Listen, just now, I want you to grab a hold of it. Look around right now. All right, just look around. How many different backgrounds are there in just this room? Think about it. Right? Now then, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Any one of these people in this room you have problem getting along with? (laughs) Just a question. You don't have to answer me. You don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. How many people... You know, I, I was thinking as I was pulling my thoughts together on this one, and then I was down there yesterday. They're just some of these people, pastors. I, I just don't even like being around. Okay, because it, you just—they're all—it's always about them. Okay, I, and it's—it's it's weird because they want applause. I know what it is. You know, and I see this all the time. You know, where's the center of attention? I want to be there. Okay. That, that annoys me. I, it's just my personality. You know, I, I don't like getting up in front of people. I never have. Let me get in the back. I'll fix the light bulbs or paint the building. But God can overcome that. I mean, if He can take a tax collector and a zealot, and make them joint ministers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really? If, when I think about this, I think about just the dynamic of personalities, even in this small group. All right? But yet, what are the provisions that God has given us? That we can actually be one. We can be one. I mean, when I I, I think about people coming out on a Saturday morning to pray, to publicly pray, how abstract is that? Try it. That's what I was told. If you want to empty a church, tell them you're going to have a prayer service. But I found it fascinating. Listen, if the people are believers, how can I not get along with them? I don't care what their background is. You know what? I don't even care what their personality is. How can I not get along with them? If they're believers, why couldn't I? Because I look at what Christ did with these two. And I mean, all right, family, I can kind of understand family. You can get past your 
brother's attitude or your brother's whatever, he snores, whatever it is you want to get rid of. But when you take someone who is classified as a traitor to the nation and a person who is a terrorist to traitors and bring them together, that is how God overcomes our personalities. That's how God overcomes our backgrounds. That's amazing to me. And you know what, brothers and sisters? No one's immune. You just look at this list of characters and you stand in awe. I mean, and I listen to people today say, well, I would like to see a miracle. <laughs> well, if you saved, you are one. Okay. See what discipleship is? The next couple of weeks, I'm going to spend some time with this last one. There are things to be learned. I want you to make a note of what Jeff read today. Judas asked Jesus, was it him? See that? There's a reason. There's a reason. We'll see this in a few weeks. Father, we come before you. I am so amazed at what you do. Father, thank you for these, for these amazing men. Father, commoners, nothing would have drawn us to you. Nothing would have drawn us to these men. And yet by your omniscience and omnipotence, you have changed the world. Father, thank you for these people. May we understand discipleship is to be a learner. And Father, then we get to where you want us. Then we are sent out. Help us to understand that. But Father, put a passion in us for your word. Put a passion in us to be learners. To you, my King, my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.